Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rotoviz Draft Series brought to you by Bet Online. I am Travis May, again, just joining you talking about some wide receivers this week. You can find me on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M. And I'm joined again by Neil Dutton. You can find him on Twitter at NDutton13. We are going to be diving into the second half of the top wide receivers in the Rookie Scouting Index. Again, the Rookie Scouting Index takes a look at some of the top resources that rank and do mock drafts and kind of pull together where these wide receivers are most likely going to be drafted. These are not necessarily our rankings, but just want to talk talk about some of the top wide receivers that are probably going to be selected pretty early on NFL Draft Day. Last episode, we already talked about Jerry Judy of Alabama, CeeDee Lamb, Oklahoma, Henry Ruggs of Alabama, Justin Jefferson of LSU, and T. Higgins of Clemson. Today, we'll be jumping into the next five, and you can actually find the Rookie Scouting Index uh, article series on the website as well if you're curious as to uh, you know, some more takes and uh, some more predictions uh, with each and every one of these players. But uh, kicking it off with the first wide receiver, Neil, LaVisca Chenault has been kind of a popular name in college football, NFL draft circles uh, for the past couple seasons as he's kind of exploded as an all-purpose uh, threat at wide receiver. So for you, where are you ranking LaVisca Chenault? Is he is he still for you a late first round rookie draft pick? And 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 what makes you excited about a player like him? See, we have this thing, you know, on you know on social media that it crops up every now and then where, you know, famous people write letters to their younger self. And I think yeah. that, you know, maybe in 10, 15 years we'll have one from LaVisca Chenault saying, Dear LaVisca, in 2020 don't run at the, the combine. <laughs> For real. That, I don't know why he was, it was public knowledge. He was already not a hundred percent. He was struggling with uh, some sports hernia issue or something like that at the time. Like why, why would you put up a horrible time like that and, and ruin things? I mean, there's, there's trying to show the world that you're a football guy, you know, that you're, a, you can tough it out. You know, that there's no such thing as a no win scenario. There's also doing something incredibly stupid in the biggest job interview of your life in front of the most, you know, knowledgeable, you know, I say knowledgeable, most powerful people in your chosen industry. It was a shocking decision to run the 40. He ran four, five, eight, which is below the 50th percent. In fact, it's well below the 50th percentile. It's the 29th percentile. He did do a 70th percentile bench press. What do um, I don't think the bench press is too important uh, to wide receivers. No. So if you go by his um, his combine member, his comparable players based on his limited action in the combine. If you look on the Rotoviz Combine Explorer app on the website, one of the great tools we have at Rotoviz, there's not a lot of encouraging signs, you know, for players of a similar type. We have such you know people, you know, such future Canton residents as Jerome Lane. Uh, Kerry Meyer, Junior Hemingway, or Lamar Durant. Um, so obviously not a great idea. Um, if you look at the box score scout, and if you give him, because again, he's one of these players that seems to be just outside, obviously the top five, uh, the top five, and he's certainly you know on that tier outside of Judy Lamb, Rugs, 
um, on the box score scout, I've given him draft pick 32, and you know, does a few encouraging comparisons in terms of his uh, his, his production. Uh, his closest comp is actually AJ Brown. Um, obviously, you know, surprised a lot of people last year. Then there's you know close comparison to Michael Thomas. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. There's a few, you know, ones that don't exactly get the pulse racing. You know, Aurelius Ben, Chris Harper, um, Cody Latimer, and Malcolm Kelly. But I just think he's one of those that this. There's an old saying, you know, that you know, it's better to say nothing and be thought stupid than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And I think by running <laughs> at the combine, Lavisca Chanel ran the risk of looking like he's a slow wide receiver, and I don't think he is. He struggled with injury. And, you know, if he'd had his own pro day, then he probably would have been able to put things right. But uh, I talked about how, like, T. Higgins has suffered because he didn't show up at the combine, said he was tired, didn't want to, you know, perform the uh, the drills. Whereas Leviska Chenault did go to the combine and, you know, made an ass of himself, basically. So I think because there's been no pro day, not been able to work, uh, work him out, that's what the, the scouts, the evaluators are going to have to go on. And I think he has cost himself with that. He's one of those players now that he could fall to, you know, later in the draft, you know, certainly in the second round, maybe even later. And if he lands somewhere, you know, where you think, oh, they could use him, then he's someone that maybe you'd want on your dynasty roster. But there's the worry now that what the NFL have seen, they're not impressed with and that he's going to drop and he'll end up somewhere where they'll try and pigeonhole him, in which case I'm out. Yeah, I, I hope he gets put into a creative situation, a creative offense that just wants to take advantage of everything that he can do because he's an amazing runner with the football. He was uh, really a wildcat quarterback at times uh, when Colorado got creative, especially uh, in his second year of production uh, for that offense. Uh, but uh, last year is just is so strange. It, it was His career was such a tale of two completely different players because, I mean, his first season, he did virtually nothing. Second year, he shows up and he's he's the guy, you know, having like over 1,100 yards from scrimmage in just nine games, just absolutely dominating. It accounts for, in those nine games, accounted for like 44% of his receiving offense and had five rushing touchdowns to go with that. He's just such a, a fun player to watch, but such a peculiar final season because obviously... You know, when you have a couple guys like Tony Brown and Katie Nixon who don't even project to be drafted at the at the NFL draft, and then he he basically has very similar production in final in the final season as them, and that's with a very and it's like it's it would be different if it was in an offense that was kind of rebuilding itself or, or figuring itself out still with a quarterback that was awful. But no, he actually had Steven Montez who broke a bunch of records. Uh, for Colorado as as a passer, a really competent passer in a, in a very veteran-filled offense last year, uh, and he just did not figure it out and was not the same player, uh, just did, did not look like he was in the same league as, as himself just year over year. So that's really bizarre because, I mean, last year it looked like his, his, his production profile was going to be solid, and really when you take the best years and kind of piece it together, it, it looks like a 70th percentile profile, but but he'd never put it all together at the same time. So I'm just concerned a, a little bit there. And, and with his health as well, uh, I just don't know what to do with Chenault, but I'm not probably taking him very early in rookie drafts. He's probably somebody that's going to sneak into the second round of a lot of rookie drafts this year, super flex or not. Uh, but moving on beyond him, a guy with a lot of questions, especially when it comes to his, his weight and his size, 
uh, even, you know, some of his his hands and, and, you know, I've heard people call him a body catcher and things like that. Uh, K.J. Hamler for Penn State. Uh, some people have some major concerns with him. Are you one of those people, Neil? Or are you actually believing that if he gets the draft capital, uh, that speed can can save him? It's all this, speed is always going to be the one thing that you know evaluators and the NFL are going to you know value above anyone else. Um, you know, if you know, as I think someone said, if if Hannibal, you know, if Hannibal Lecter had run a four four, he'd have been a first round pick. You know, despite the off-field right. concerns or whatnot, he obviously is. He's an intriguing prospect. Penn State have had some freaky athletes over the last few years. You know, you talk obviously Saquon Barkley, Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, Mike Gesicki. I don't know what they're feeding him over there. You know, in the Penn State area, but it seems to be good. He's another one that, if you look at his comps from a production point of view, there's a few people who you know you think. That's not bad. I mean, I've given him, I've assumed a draft pick of fifth of uh, of spot fifty. So there's a close comparison with Deontay Johnson, who's not been terrible. There's one there, a close comparison with Antonio Brown. Hopefully, without the crazy. Uh, and then there's Hopefully. other players that like Randall Cobb, Jarvis Landry. And it comes down. I mean, Lance Airline, obviously very well respected. I respect his opinion greatly, especially when it comes to this time of year. He's compared him to Tavon Austin. Now, if there's one phrase that is likely to t- make me say, I don't want to draft this player, it's if you compare someone to Tavon Austin. Um, it's one of those that, you know, it, he's going to be a role player. Well, my fantasy league doesn't award points for role players. Um, it wants actual wide receivers. So he's one of the, you know, Again, it's a question of how much work teams have done on him. If he goes in the second round, you have to consider him. But if he drops, I can see him being one of those players that fancy owners are just going to not bother with. Yeah, I think a lot of people are concerned with his size. I mean, coming in at like 178 or some 176, I can't remember what it was. Really lighter guy, not even five foot ten. Kind of projects as a tiny, shiftier, playmaking guy that might be great for an NFL offense but might not be great for your fantasy teams again. So I really liked Hamler uh, as a college player. I really like him as a as a pro player. I think he's basically just a discount Henry Ruggs, does uh, virtually everything uh, similar to him, except for maybe maybe he doesn't have as many acrobatic catches. <laughs> uh, he doesn't uh, run a fade well. I don't know if you want to pick, a, pick apart his game, but uh, he broke out as, as soon as he really could uh, for Penn State in his first action in, in his red shirt, really freshman year. Uh, in an offense that didn't throw at all, he still uh, put up some decent raw numbers and was really quite effective in terms of his yards per team pass attempt. And uh, his immediate dominator wasn't to 30% that we want to see, but it was in his second full season of action. But really, he's just an impressive playmaker. Uh, I'm, I'm not drafting him super high, but I'm definitely not letting him drop You know, to the late second or past the late second in my rookie drafts i think the speed the the meeting the bare minimum on the on production thresholds and just being kind of a different difference maker in space i, I want to see his landing spot first of course because that's pretty key but without that I, I under i completely understand the questions but if he's in a spot where he's going to be at least a wide receiver two on that offense he, I, he, he profiles as somebody who can create enough by himself uh, to uh, to kind of take over and and be successful. So uh, it's it's basically again I, I I hate to over over compare him to Henry Ruggs or or somebody like uh, wide receiver we'll get to here shortly in Jalen Rager, but he does a lot of things really well. Uh, obviously he does uh, let the ball come to him, uh, and, and from a film perspective, does not always attack the ball. Uh, at the high point, and so you, you can nitpick there, but he's he's a player I'm still looking at in the second round 
of rookie drafts. Moving on, though, to a guy who's really just blown up with his NFL draft stock, Denzel Mims of, of Baylor, uh, dating back to really the Senior Bowl, but really his entire college career. If people actually cared about Baylor football, they would have known Denzel Mims has been killing it for a couple years now and uh, has been a dominant force just as a, a physical wide receiver, a fast enough wide receiver, uh, and answered a lot of questions at the Combine. There's just a, a massive hype machine going on with Denzel Mims. Are you, are you believing in that hype? Are you one that's going to be drafting him pretty early this year? I, I think I will, but there's a few things that worry me. One, I mean, his, his performance at the Combine was incredible. You know, 93rd percentile 40-yard dash, 93rd percentile broad jump, 94th percentile three-cone time. Um, he's got, you know, long arms. He's got good hand size. If you actually look at his freak score, you know, if we look at that, he's 73, 73 on the freak score. And if you look at his comparable players on the Combine Explorer, the first two players are Javon Walker and Julio Jones. Yeah, I, I would take Julio Jones or Javon Walker in his pump quite early in rookie drafts, I think. The one major issue I have, and this is only you know a, it's a carping criticism, but as you say, if anyone actually paid attention to Baylor football, they'd know that Baylor wide receivers in the NFL don't mix. Um, it's it's not been a long list of successes. Now I'm not saying you know that straight away just because you know Kendall Wright didn't emerge as the next Jerry Rice that we should immediately dismiss Denzel Mims. But if you look, his production's very good. It's, oh, yeah. you know, it's athletics, uh, you know, incredible. If you look on the Sims on the road of his uh, box score scout, uh, I gave him draft pick 20 because I've seen a lot of people mocking him that high. A team I think I've seen him mock to quite a lot is the Minnesota Vikings. Obviously, they lost to Fon Diggs, so it would be a player to come in. And straight away, there's a role. I mean, I know they're not a pass-first offense, but you look, you know, what else have they got at receiver? They've got Adam Phelan, and that's it. So if you look at the players, he's closest, com- closestly Closestly, he's closest <laughs> comparable to uh, on the box score scouts. Got Michael Floyd, who've had a few good seasons with Arizona. Got Devin Smith, there's Kendall Wright, Debo Samuel. Now, there's an interesting name, obviously, considering what he did as a rookie. But a bit further down, there's a name, there's names like Sterling Shepard, Christian Kirk, and Tory Smith. In terms of Tory Smith, he's quite similar in the Combine Explorer. He's one of the Sims there as well. So I think he's one of those players that if he ends up going in the first round, he's someone you've got to be interested with, especially if he went to a team like Minnesota, where there's a clear path to him being one of the starting wide receivers. I mean, as you say, he's a name that pretty much emerged from nowhere for the bulk of us he just absolutely took over at the combine so landing spot wise if he can fall into the perfect spot and i know there are very few perfect spots he's someone who you know if all the running backs have gone and you start looking at wide receivers he's someone in your in your draft you've got to be thinking about taking absolutely definitely agree and i he was a name that uh, after his, I guess it was his sophomore season at Baylor, he had over a thousand yards, had, had a decent production profile. He burst onto the scene for people that love Debbie leagues, love to have college players on their rosters before uh, they even enter into the NFL. Uh, you know, he, he was a name that was rising up boards all over because, you know, he looked like he was the alpha. He looked like he was going to explode. And then after a kind of a, a down junior year, just because Baylor as a whole uh, was just. Well, they were awful uh, in uh, uh, for a couple years there. <laughs> I mean, they were one in eleven in, in his great year, and then even the year after that, they disappointed, uh, going four and five against the Big Big Twelve teams, not having great performance, and so people kind of forgot about him uh, during that stretch. Uh, and people have been burned by you know Kendall Wright. They've been burned by Corey Coleman. So 
they they don't want to believe in Baylor wide receivers, but he had a really strong again 29 uh, 2019 season, a really strong final year, and really just rounded out his already impressive production profile. And where he kind of fits in within my my model that I've talked about before, and on the last podcast, the adjusted production index, he really is he's right next to players like Allen Robinson. He's right next to players like Kenny Britt. Like so, even if like he's like a worst case scenario, like he's a Kenny Britt that kind of bursts onto the scene and gets some draft capital, you know, has a has a few strong years, you still have some sell high windows. But if he's just instead, you get a much more athletic, actually, Allen Robinson, a much faster version of Allen Robinson, somebody that with a production profile like him and draft capital go along with it in a decent situation as well. That's that's lock it in. Let's lock it in as a first round rookie pick in most leagues everywhere, because he, he just doesn't have as many questions as I think a lot of people were asking of him. It's just maybe two years ago when he had his quote unquote down year. Uh, he, he definitely should have been a name that was uh, on the forefront of many people's minds coming into the draft process. And then wow, people at the senior bowl, wow, people at the combine, he's had a very good NFL process uh, leading into the draft. So if he gets the, the first round capital or even top 50, top 60, something capital, he's going to be a player I'm going to have all over the place. But uh, with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. And in fact, our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. You missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. And you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's all open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. So I, I mentioned kind of J- Jalen Rager just in passing earlier, but I'm, I'm incredibly high on, on Jalen Rager. I really love what he brings to, to the table, his production profile, his skill set, speed, everything about this player for the, mo- for, well, for the most part. Are, are you on the Jalen Rager hype train or are you somebody that, that's questioning uh, somebody given his profile in final season? I I I wonder with his final season how much it was him and how much of the putrid offense he was playing in, because the two seasons before that he'd been fairly productive. I mean he's he doesn't look like he's going to catch absolutely everything that comes near him. Uh, I think it was fifty eight percent and fifty four percent catch rate, but then that plummeted down to forty six percent last year. Now. You, you forgive me, you know. Again, as you know, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm an Eagles fan. So when one of our wide receivers is, you know, being panned on the national media by a man who was catching babies that were getting thrown out of buildings because Nelson Aguilar can't catch, a catch rate of 46% isn't going to get me too excited. So yeah. if that is just a product of the offense he was in, and it's not the fact that he's got saucepans for hands and can't actually catch, then I'm prepared to let it go because. You know, from an athletic point of view, he's very, very impressive. Certainly, you know, vertical jump, broad jump, decent forty-yard dash time, four-four-seven. Um, 
his box score scout, I'll give him. I've given him position twenty-five because again, he's one of these players that seem to be linked in drafts, uh, in mocks. Sorry, to the Eagles, the Vikings, or the Green Bay Packers, and you see the closest comps with that draft capital of twenty-five. He's closest, uh, closely linked to Christian Kirk, Randall Cobb, Robert Woods, Michael Thomas. And then you go a bit further down, there's Dante Moncrief, A.J. Brown, Calvin Ridley. Now, these are all players I can get on board with, you know, if, you know, if he goes to a team like the Green Bay Packers, who have a desperate need for a second wide receiver. If he goes to a team like the Eagles, who have a desperate need for any competent wide receiver. <laughs> I think, you know, draft, draft capital is certainly going to help him. Uh, he seems to have, you know, and one thing that is important, at least for me, is he's shown that he can contribute on special teams as well. Um, he had 200 um, special teams yards in 2018. He had nearly 400 last year. That's good because special teams shows he's a player that the college, you know, the, is that the coach wants to get the ball in his hands. So even if, you know, his production last year was terrible, and even if that was his fault, which I said I don't believe it was, we can still see that the team want the ball in his hands. And that's a good thing moving forward, because especially with every team trying to look for the next Debo Samuel. You know, we see just line up somewhere, give him the ball and good things will happen. So Jalen Rager is an interesting player. If he goes in the first round or early in the second round, he's someone that you're going to have to look at seriously in dynasty drafts because he has the background of, you know, being a producer in multiple ways on the field. Oh, absolutely. And I think when you look at his peak production profile and really him breaking out at a very early age, uh, really in 2017, impressing having eight touchdowns as, as a true freshman and almost 600 yards in, in an offense that was just abysmal and, and really didn't pass a whole lot in, 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 in a college day and age where most offenses do pass like crazy. TCU is not one that does. And a lot of people don't understand that Jalen Rager, not only did he have just ridiculous horrible target numbers last year i think he had he was almost bottom ranked in terms of catchable passes thrown his way i think it was a i've seen a stat where it was like 118th out of 120 qualifying wide receivers and catchable passes i don't think people understand the context surrounding why that happened so he actually had six different quarterbacks throughout his career that he had to put up with all of which were absolutely horrifyingly bad and then leading into this final season we all knew it was going to be rough for tcu because during the off off season, they actually opened up the quarterback competition to four different guys. They they that's how clueless they were as to who their quarterback was going to be because there's they were all bad. And then when they finally settled in on a, a true freshman and, and Max Duggan to be the guy, just settling in to be you know the future of the team, uh, he turned out to be awful as well. I mean, he his his profile this year, uh, his adjusted yards per attempt was five point seven, which is about half, ha- literally half. Of, of players like Joe Burrow and Tua Tungavaloa and, you know, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, the actual NFL-type passers. He just could not hit the broadside of a barn, anything at, at all. And it, and it really killed Jalen Rager's final season. It really is terrible that that, that happened. It's a miracle, though, that he even caught 43 passes uh, all season long because that, that offense was just absolutely gross could barely even average 200 yards passing in in the big 12 which is one of the worst college conferences in terms of defense against the pass so people they they see that the rankings and the catchable targets and, and and how bad of an opportunity it was but they just don't fully understand how 
just awful it truly was for Ager. So he's not going to have, unless he goes and plays with Mitchell Trubisky, he's not going to have anybody near that bad at the next level throwing him passes. So I hope he gets the draft capital. If he's a top 50 pick for me, he's he's as easy as a lock as a player like Justin Jefferson and near, you know, as easy a lock as, as players like CeeDee Lamb. Uh, I have virtually no no questions with a player like Jalen Rager, but I do have more with the next guy on our list, Brandon Ayuk, uh, somebody that uh, burst onto the scene. He actually was really productive as a Juco wide receiver even before he got to Arizona State but was replacing a lot of uh, opportunity with Nikhil Harry going to the NFL. Uh, Brandon Ayuk had to come in and be a very different player that could create downfield uh, for himself more so than Harry could. So are you uh, somebody that likes Brandon Ayuk and his chances uh, in the NFL? Oh, I am. I'm an unashamed Brandon Ayuk stan, which uh, I use that word properly. I'm, you know, I, I want to sound like I'm you know, down with the kids, so right. I hope that's the right way to use that word. Yeah, you nailed it. Um, <laughs> Okay, good, good. I say I am ridiculously old. Uh, this this escapes the attention of a lot of people. Now, obviously, there's question marks about um, Ayuk because people are saying, well, he waited until his senior season to break out. But as you pointed out, he was ridiculously productive at Juco. Um, I think he had 2,500 all-purpose yards um, in Juco. Then he came to Arizona State, had to replace Nikhil Harry. Again, Vitally important, he had nearly a 1,000 yards of special teams yards in two seasons with Arizona State, so that's important. Of the draft prospects in this uh, this class, he's third in receiving yards uh, for last year. He had 1192. He scored eight touchdowns. If you look at his combine, it wasn't spectacular, but I think that one thing that is you know playing into that is he's just decided to have core muscle surgery. So obviously, if he's a player who's injured, the Philadelphia Eagles are obviously going to be interested in him. That's what they do. Um, <laughs> obviously. So he, oh, it's, it's 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 seriously it's on that first you know on the if you look at the you know way way back in the day, uh, one of our erstwhile colleagues, Kevin Cole, he did a production tr- uh, a measurables tree for the positions, and it was looking at like speed, you know, forty yard dash time, vert. If the Philadelphia Eagles had one, it would be has this player been injured seriously? If that's a yes, then you can carry on and keep researching him. Um, but he freshly looked, so he ran a four five uh, forty yard dash time. Everyone was expecting him to run a lot quicker than that, but if he's had core muscle problems, maybe that could contribute. 93rd percentile vertical jump, 88th percentile broad jump. If you look at his comparable players from the Combine Explorer, there's some a few couple of decent um, names here. There's DJ Moore, there's um, Michael Gallup, there's Tory Smith. Um, so if we go over to the box score scout, I've given him the draft capital pick of number 50. And again, the closest players we have there are Gallup, Christian Kirk, Tory Smith and Keenan Allen. Now, that's an interesting one because obviously we've seen that Keenan Allen can be ridiculously productive uh, in an offense as, you know, as a slot flanker, as it were. You know, he can play inside, he can play outside. He's another player that if he lands on the right team. He could be similar. I wrote actually about him uh, for wrote of his. I'm not saying he's the same type of player as Debo Samuel, but in terms of that archetype of a player that teams just want to find ways to get him the ball, he can be similar because he can contribute in the return game. He can contribute as a wide receiver, obviously. Could he take a couple of carries out the backfield? Maybe, but I don't think that's where he's going to make his money. If you look as well, if you just take away... If you don't give him any draft capital, three very close comps on the box score scout are Jeremy Macklin, Odell Beckham, and DJ Moore. That's without the draft capital baked in. So in terms of his college production, he's similar to those three guys. 
And see, you had the 50th pick, which, you know, is a decent assumption because I don't think he's going to go in the first round. He's certainly someone who should find a home in the second. Then the names are not, they're not terribly disheartening. Obviously, there's a few stinkers. There's Brashard Perryman, (laughs) Earl Bennett, bless his soul, uh, and David Reed (laughs) uh, from Utah, 2008, 2009. You know, I'll I'll be there the day he's inducted into Canton. Um, I think I'll be going in the same class. But he's someone that I'm very, very high on because... while he's going to be a slightly older prospect, he's someone who has shown he excelled at junior college and then he came up, he got his feet wet and then eventually started to be productive at the college level as well. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people... So I think when when using typical analytical measures, trying to look at breakout age uh, and, you know, dominator and, and things like that for a player like, like Juco... Uh, that that start, starts out the JUCO route. They're not going to really have it, it's. It's like you don't really want to even use their JUCO stats because it's not the same level. So even it's, so, the only way they kind of have that quote unquote breakout age that you like to see is if they come out of JUCO and then their very first year absolutely annihilate and then you know have a very strong second season and then maybe they get draft capital. Uh, and and so when we look at you know, breakout age for a player like Ju- you know, like Brendan Ayuk that started out in JUCO, you really can't assign a, a super early age breakout age for him because he just wasn't there yet. The opportunity for him wasn't there yet, but he broke out pretty much as soon as he as soon as he could. Obviously, he came in as a um, I guess true junior in in the process in 2018 and had to share targets with with Nikhil Harry, who was an absolute market share fiend and had already been the proven vet within that offense and was going to be the guy that they just funneled everything through. But he actually did eat into the market share of a very proven veteran on that offense and Kyle Williams right after he got there. And then as soon as Harry was gone, it was nothing but the Brandon Ayuk show. So I think understanding the full picture of, of why he didn't you know, necessarily fit the typical analytical mold that we like to see is important. And it's also key to understand players that transfer at wide receiver have started hitting at a higher rate than we've seen uh, in previous years, dating back to you know like 2015 and on. Players that entered the league since 2015 and on that have been transfer wide receivers that ended up putting it together a pretty decent peak profile. You know, names like John Brown, names like Marquise, another Brown, Marquise Hollywood Brown, two guys that were Juco level and then transferred and then just made it to the next stage. Guys like Michael Gallup, another transfer, Kenny Galladay, another transfer, guys that didn't have the typical production arc that we like to see in our, our perfect production profiles, but worked out anyway. And, I, and if the, he's going to hit, it's going to look like something like that. I could see him looking like a, a John Brown. Maybe he doesn't get the early, early, early draft capital, but he still gets the day two and works out. So I'm not drafting Ayuk super early. He's he's ranked lower than just about any of the players that we've talked about uh, to date uh, for me in this group, but still a player that I'm looking at intently. Ho- hopefully he lands out in, in a pretty good spot. But before we close out, are there any other wide receivers for you that you're excited about uh, outside of the top 10? Well, the most obvious one for me is someone who, because he, he got injured, um, I think, did he get injured at the Senior Bowl? It was certainly around the Senior Bowl. That's Brian Edwards. Now, obviously, um, didn't take part in the combine. So we have, you know, he, he had a couple of measurables. He got his arm length and his hand size. Gee, thanks. You know, that, like, I don't know how to thank you enough for those incredibly important stats. So if you actually look at, you know, in terms of height and weight, his comparisons, there's, again, there's some decent ones. I mean, he's similar to Jordan Matthews, who was productive 
in the NFL. Obviously, there was he was playing in a Chip Kelly offense. He had a ton of volume. Braylon Edwards, he's similar to him. Again, productive, but did like to drop the ball. Javon Walker, Ruben Randall. You know, these are these are big names, as it were, that he's been similar to. But if we actually look in terms of production, if we give him draft pick, if we give him capital of fifty, which is probably a bit high considering you know the teams haven't been able to get their hands on him, as it were. Again, there's still some names that you could tell yourself a story that he could be productive. Um, Terrence Williams, again, a Baylor wide receiver, he had some decent days in the NFL. Brandon LaFell was a contributor for the, um, the Patriots, wasn't a big fantasy superstar. There is a close comparison with that draft capital, to Debo Samuel. So again, there we look at this type of player that, oh, he's someone that you know teams want to get the ball in the hands of. And you know a bit further down, we have Sterling Shepard and Zay Jones, but enough said about that, the better. So Brian Edwards is one of those that, I just worry that the injury and the fact that he wasn't able to be measured might affect him. But he's someone that, if he does get the draft capital, he might be worth stashing late in Dynasty Drafts in case in his second team... He catches, he catches fire. Yeah, absolutely, and really, I think he could if he does get decent draft capital, which is pretty important. I think he's going to absolutely explode, uh, just because he just impressed. He really he broke out at age seventeen as a true freshman. He was still mm. seventeen halfway through his his uh, freshman season and just absolutely annihilating people. But he had to again deal with a subpar quarterback in his final season. Jake Bentley went down very early, and he had to put up with a, a true freshman that could barely uh, get double-digit touchdowns on the entire season in Ryan Hunsky. But he still managed to get 800-plus yards with that horrible uh, quarterback play in an offense that didn't really like to pass the ball that much uh, other than when they were way behind trying to play catch-up. But yeah, Brian, Brian Edwards is a player that he's a, he is a freak athlete. I wish we could have seen that. He would have risen up draft boards like crazy. But uh, a, a guy definitely keep in your back pocket. And then a couple other names. Tyler Johnson, another if he gets the capital type guy because he, his adjusted production profile is just ridiculous. Like 99th percentile type stuff. Early breakout age. Consistently dominant in big moments throughout his entire career. Even sharing the field with another NFL wide receiver in Rashad Bateman. Uh, finding ways to produce. And then Michael Pittman Jr. of USC, a Bletnikoff finalist last year. Um, obviously, he had a slower start, uh, sharing some sharing the field with some um, future NFL wide receivers uh, like Juju Smith-Schuster when he first got there uh, and some other names that uh, have worked out to be pretty good college players. Uh, finally breaking out. He had to fight through some injuries, but finally broke out and had an incredible Final year, uh, getting like a 35% dominator in his final year. Decent adjust, adjusted yards per team pass numbers as well. So his peak production profile is okay, but there's definitely some questions about uh, just his production arc and, and analytically speaking. But man, on tape, he does dominate uh, as a big-bodied wide receiver. Uh, has some bloodlines going for him with uh, you know former NFL players and in his family. But uh, he's going to be somebody that needs to get some capital if he's going to rise. But I think he has a great chance to exceed his current draft uh, slot, which is probably, you know, in in most rookie drafts, he's like really slipping into the the, the third round. But uh, are you high on either of those guys, Uh, Neil? Um, I'm not especially high on Tyler Johnson. Um, I just think that 
I think a lot of people are, you know, have have hyped him up to an extent that, from what I've seen, it it you know looks good, you know, in, yeah. in on paper. But you know, I would have liked to have seen an athletic workout, and you know, because it's just a question of you know, was he just productive because he was used? I mean, as you say, his target share for Minnesota was ridiculously high. Well, you know, in last year he did have an excellent catch rate. Is that a question that you know, if you just you know keep firing the ball, and he has to produce? And you know, Michael Pittman. There's a, there's a lot to like about Pittman, but again, I'm going to let my bias about USC wide receivers cloud me. <laughs> um, and you know, we've been burned before. Uh, you know, Juju was pretty much the, the he was our new hope, uh, but even now it looks like you know he was supposed to bring balance to the force, whereas all he's actually doing is cloud it in darkness. Yeah, well, we'll see how that works out for him. But that's all we have time for on this episode. Thanks again for joining us for the Rotoviz Draft Series, talking about some wide receivers. If you missed any of the other episodes on any of the other positions, check them out. We did talk about Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, uh, Henry Ruggs, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins on the previous episode, and of course Lavisca Chenault, K.J. Hamler, Denzel Mims. That's the six, seven, and eight. And then 9 and 10 are Jalen Rager and Brandon Ayuk in the Rookie Scouting Index. And then a couple other names, a few other names to keep in mind. Again, Brian Edwards, Tyler Johnson, Michael Pittman. Uh, and for more rookie content, definitely check out the Road of His site. We're talking about all these players right now. And we will be talking about them for the next few months for sure. But again, my name is Travis May. You can find me on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M. And I was joined by Neil Dutton. Thank you again so much for joining me, Neil. Hey, you can find him on Twitter at ndutton13. That's N-D-U-T-T-O-N-13. Uh, but until next time, keep living that dynasty life. Thank you for listening to the Rotoviz Draft Series. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 10% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.